Thank you for joining today. This is our first episode of our new series on prayer. And now here's Martha with today's message. There is a mechanism on my car. It has been on every car that I have ever owned. It's one of those warning signals, warning sounds. You have one too, but my guess is most of you have never actually heard it. It's called a gas light, that fuel warning light or sound. Some of you, have, or most of you, have probably never heard it because you would not dream of letting your fuel go below a quarter of a tank before you get gas. I, on the other hand, subscribe to the theory that if the engineers and the designers and the automakers went through the trouble to design that mechanism and put it on the car, then I probably ought to use it. I never get gas until I am running on fumes. And it's always funny when there's someone in the car with me, which is rare, it's usually my mother or a friend, and the gas light goes off, the whole car can hear it, and the person sitting in the passenger seat leans over and says, oh, looks like you need to get gas. And I'm thinking, I happen to know that I can get 24 miles out of this gallon, this tank of gas, before I ever even need to think about coasting into a gas station. In the same way that fuel is essential for a car to run, prayer is essential for the life of a follower of Jesus. Prayer is fuel for our souls. But sadly, in the words of singer and songwriter Jackson Brown, Many of us are just simply running on empty. We're beginning a sermon series today on the topic of prayer as part of the ABCs of our faith theme that's carrying us throughout the fall in which we're looking at some of those basic or back to the basics or some of those foundational principles of our faith. And prayer is one of those basic principles, basic practices of faith, of the life of a follower of Jesus. A 2017 uh, Barna Research Project, I think it was 2017, shows that 80% of Americans say that they pray regularly. Now, the definition of regularly varies. It could be as much as once, once in a three-month period, or could be more frequently. But 80% of, America, of Americans say that they pray regularly. The content of those prayers and to whom the prayers are directed may vary. And countless, countless books have been written on the topic of prayer. As a pastor, I find all of those statistics fascinating because one or among the common questions that I am asked as a pastor are, how do I pray? When do I pray? What should I say when I pray? Where should I pray? And on and on the questions go. If you find yourself asking those questions, take comfort, you're not alone. Jesus' own followers asked a very similar question. In the 11th chapter of Luke's Gospel, Jesus had just finished praying, and one of his disciples went to Jesus and said to him, Teach us to pray. 
Jesus' disciples had watched Jesus pray before healing people. Jesus would pray in the temples. Jesus would pray in the early mornings, would withdraw and retreat to quiet places and pray. And the disciples saw him doing this, and they wanted to know how to do it themselves. Jesus responded to that question by giving them a model of prayer. It's what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. And as part of this four-week series on prayer, we are offering an eight-week study through First Farragut Church Online, a Facebook group. If you are not already a part of that group, there will be a link for you to join that group in the comments below. But for the next eight weeks, we will offer a study by an author, author's name Pete Gregg, on the Lord's Prayer. Videos will post and some discussion questions and tools that you can use to help deepen your own prayer life. But this particular sermon series is entitled Pray, which is an acronym, again coined by the author Pete Gregg, an acronym for Pause, Rejoice, Ask, and Yield. At its root, prayer is a two-way conversation. A conversation between an individual and God or a conversation between a group of people and God. It's one of the primary ways in which we get to know God, one of the primary ways in which we develop and deepen a relationship with God. Have you ever been in a one-sided relationship? It could be a romantic relationship, it could be a friendship, it could be a relationship with a, a co-worker, a relative. But often in a one-sided relationship, the conversations are often one-sided. The conversations almost always center around one person's needs, wants, desires, challenges, comforts. And for many of us, our prayers closely resemble a one-sided conversation, and that's okay. I'm convinced that any time we talk to God, God is pleased. Whether it's one-sided or two-sided, I'm convinced God is pleased. But if we want to deepen our relationship with God and have a two-way conversation, we have to pause, which is the topic of today's sermon. We have to slow down long enough to listen to and for God As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, we have to learn to be still before God. That verse in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. That's only the beginning of the verse, but that particular phrase is among the most often quoted scriptures of the Bible. We have a tendency, though, to use it like a doctor's prescription Take two and call me in the morning. Be still and know that God is God. And we think that just saying that will remind us that everything is okay. But if we look more closely at that phrase, the scripture doesn't say, be still and know about God. It doesn't say, know that God will rescue you or us. It doesn't even say, be still and and know that God will give you an answer. It actually reads, know that God is God. Know that I am God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing 
God. That phrase, know that I am God, actually translates to be still and experience God. Be still and see God. Be still and learn to know God. But why would we want to know God? Knowing God, not just about God, but experiencing God fills us with a sense of purpose. Knowing God satisfies our deepest longings to belong. It fills the deep oceans of emptiness that we experience. Knowing God gives us the energy and the courage to stand for God's justice. Not our version of justice, but God's justice. Knowing God gives us the hope and the assurance that when all around us is changing and the world changes at a massive speed these days, knowing God gives us hope and peace and assurance. But if being still is all that it takes, why don't we do it? One of the reasons I'm convinced is that we like quick fixes. We are an impatient people. We go through a drive through and we expect our food to be at our car in minutes. With many of the dining, established dining rooms closed, drive throughs are backed up these days. So what do we do? We order it ahead of time on an app so that when we show up, our food will be ready. How many seconds are many of us willing to wait for a web page to open? It's not more than two seconds. We like quick fixes. We want a quick relief to our problems, to our challenges. So when it comes to quieting the chaos of our minds, trying to stop the hamster wheel that continues to go, into, go on and on and on in our minds, we will go for whatever quiets the, the, the noise the quickest. It may be the numbness of a drink. It may be the mind-numbing entertainment of our favorite show on Netflix. It may be the endorphins of exercise or activity, workaholism. We will continue to move so that we don't have to listen to the quietness in our own minds. I'm also convinced that one of the reasons we don't seek still and quietness is because we're afraid of what we might find if we sit still with our thoughts for a period of time. If you're anything like me, your mind is like a bad neighborhood at night. No one should go there alone. But we know the fears and the doubts and the anxieties. And the weight of it all is sometimes just too overwhelming, overwhelmingly unbearable. So we attempt to fill or quiet the noise with more noise with as many voices as we can, music, TV, pundits, podcasts. We seek the numbing light of the screens of social media and our phones, and on and on the list goes. We will do just about anything to drown out the chaos and the thoughts and the worries and the anxieties in our minds. God understands our desire to be free of the burden of the mindless chatter, the rampant ego, and our desire to escape the world. 
God knows that we long for goodness and peace. God knows this because God knows us. And Jesus showed us that God understands our need for peace and for calm. When he said, in the, as recorded in the 11th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Come to me and I will give you rest. Eugene Peterson's version of those verses in Matthew 11, it's verses 28 through 30. Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, translates those words of Jesus beautifully. When he writes, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. If we look at the full scope of Psalm 46, what we'll see is there's not a person just sitting still and being quiet. There is chaos going on all around. The mountains shake into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam. And the mountains tremble. But we're told in the midst of all of that that God is present. And that there is a stream, a river, of gladness flowing in the midst of it. When our world shakes with the ruthlessness of politics, when our anger and our opinions roar like the waves, when they begin to foam with systemic evils of racism and nationalism and hate, when our way of life changes, we have the promise that God is right there in the midst of it all. And that we find a life-giving river of grace. But what's required to see it or experience it is that we be still and know God. Be still in this psalm doesn't mean that we just sit still and turn a blind eye to all that's going on around us. It doesn't mean that we just brush things off as if eh, they're not that bad after all. It doesn't mean we put on our fake happy faces and just wait for everything to pass. Be still in Psalm 46 is actually an action verb. It means to intentionally, almost forcibly throw down your weapons. To be still before God requires action. An active surrendering of all the weapons in our arsenal that we use to attempt to drown out the realities of life. And it takes practice. And it takes persistence. And it takes time. Do you know why it is that I see the gaslight warning in my car so frequently? It's because I don't have time to stop and get gas. I have way too many more important things to do, people to see, places to be. I, like all of you, have grass to mow, bills to pay, dinner to cook, groceries to get, a job to do, and on and on the list goes. I don't have time to stop and get gas. 
but I have even less time to be stranded on the side of the road hoofing it to a gas station to get gas to fill up my car. By the way, I have never completely run out of gas. But I don't have time to stop and get gas. I have even less time to be stranded. Many of us are running on empty because we haven't taken the time or made the time to be still before God. The author of the study that we will be doing in our Facebook group, Pete Gregg, makes the statement that a Christian who prays when they feel like it may survive but will never thrive. Their vast innate potential will be stunted because grace needs a little space to take root between the cracks of a person's life. As we begin this series on prayer, we are asking you, challenging you, inviting you to not just learn about prayer, but to learn how to pray. I have heard countless sermons on prayer, but rarely do we hear in a sermon how to pray. The reality is we can't go into that detail in the midst of a sermon, hence the reason we are offering you a way to go deeper on your own. To practice sitting in the stillness, the presence of God. To stop working at life of our own strength and to experience life through the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. One of the ways you can do that is through the prayer course through First Farragut Church Online. Another option that I'd like to give you this week is to take five minutes, a whole five minutes in a 24-hour period. And just be silent. I promise you that five minutes will feel like an eternity. But take five minutes. Some of you may have to read Psalm 46 or say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. You may have to walk in a path in your house and say the name of Jesus. Some of you may be thinking, oh boy, she just gave me five minutes of silence. That's awesome. But for most of us, it's difficult. And when your mind wanders, and it will, just acknowledge it and come back to it. But the beginning of praying, the beginning of deepening our prayer life or beginning a prayer life, is learning to sit still in the presence of God so that we can experience God in those life-giving streams of water in the midst of the chaos of our lives. In the words of Jesus, if you are tired and worn out, if you're weary, come to Jesus and he will show you how to take a real rest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Join us next week as we talk about rejoicing in our prayers, even when we don't feel very joyful. See you next week.